You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hey everyone, I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. You're listening to Episode 7 of Messy Jesus Business. I've been blogging at Messy Jesus Business since 2010. Messy Jesus Business, the blog, and now the podcast, explores how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Now, on to our guest. Our guest today is Kateri Boucher. Kateri Boucher grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, and moved to Detroit, Michigan in the fall of 2018, following a call of community. Now, she practices messy hospitality in Detroit's Catholic Worker House and works for G's Magazine. You can learn more about G's Magazine, which is really uh, how we connected initially, and subscribe if, if you are interested at g'smagazine.org. And G's is spelled G-E-E-Z, G'smagazine.org. Anyway, the conversation I had with Kateria was a lot of fun. She's delightful. I think you'll enjoy her too. We explored all sorts of topics, including contemplative cultural resistance and what that means, uh, prophetic voices and how we can listen to them and let them support us, composting, urban gardening, and how the United States is an empire. We covered a lot of ground. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Thank you, Julia. It's great to be here with you. Yay. Happy you're here. Uh, uh, get it on the recording for the, for the listeners. Um, how do you say the, the title of, of the magazine? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good question. I'm glad that you asked. Um, we say G's. G's okay. as in Jesus. Yeah. How long has it existed? 15 years now. 15 years. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to hear more about that. But before we get into it, I would love to hear about you, if you don't mind. <laughs> so uh, what is your story and how did you end up working at G's? Sure. Um, so I grew up in a suburb of Rochester, New York, and I grew up around and sort of adjacent to a few radical Christian communities. I was raised uh, going to Spiritus Christi Church in Rochester, which is a a breakaway Catholic church. When I was two years old, um, everyone in the church was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic diocese. So that was sort of my uh, my upbringing. Um, And I went to school at Hamilton College, a a small private liberal arts college. And while I was there, I was going to do a project on urban farms. And my dad, who had friends in Detroit, said, you really have to go to Detroit if you're going to study urban farms. So he connected me with some folks, part of the Catholic worker community here. And I came for a month that first summer, and it totally changed my life. Uh, Uh, Was that your first introduction to Catholic worker? 
like? Not ex- not exactly to Catholic the Catholic worker movement, but sort of to this radical discipleship kind of community. The mm-hmm. Wiley Kellermans um, and other folks in Detroit are are part of that, and. So it, let's just say that that month really messed up my life um, in, in the, best, the best possible way. Yeah. And this is messy Jesus business. I understand. It to- it's so messy. Uh, right. Never could have known. And so all I wanted to do after that was come back to Detroit. And it took me a couple years before I was able to finishing school and doing another program. But I moved back here um, two years ago now and just moved on to that block with a bunch of those folks. I had no real plan. Uh, just wanted to be here learning from them and being in community. And a couple weeks after that, Lydia Wiley Kellerman, who is part of the reason that I moved here, asked if I would be interested in taking over G's with her. She had just had just gotten an offer to become editor. And I said, what's G's? I had never heard of it. Um, but she gave me the gender issue, I remember very clearly, and it didn't take long. I spent like a week reading it and then said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So she and um, her sister Lucy and I were part of, and, and our bookkeeper M were part of the transition from G's being Winnipeg, Winnipeg-based to moving to Detroit. To Detroit-based. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. So for any listener that doesn't know, what is the Catholic Worker Movement? Ooh, yeah. Um, the Catholic Worker Movement is uh, an anarchist movement uh, founded by Dorothy Day, who was a radical Catholic woman living in, starting in the early 1920s in New York. And she started a newspaper called The Catholic Worker, basically combining radical leftist politics and um, Catholic theology. And then from there started uh, Houses of Hospitality, providing um, housing for folks who didn't have it, as well as soup kitchens, giving food. And the movement just spread all across the country and now the world. So there are these houses and and, um, different forms of soup kitchens and uh, ministry all over the country that are following in the Catholic worker tradition, although it's a very broad movement. There's no central organization. So I live, I live in Detroit's Catholic worker house right now. Okay. So you, so you consider yourself a Catholic worker. I mean, you're living in Catholic worker. This is, this is who you are. Kateri, the Catholic worker. I'll take it. You know, I, I, I'm still, I'm still adjusting to the identity part of it, but okay. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's definitely becoming a more comfortable way to identify. Okay, okay. Is, yeah. um, so do you identify as a Christian too? That, I'm, I, I, I have to say yes now, but it's been a real process. Like two mm. years ago when I moved to Detroit, I would have said no. But, mm. um, but at this point, the way that I've been saying it recently is that Christianity is the religion that I'm most actively in tension with mm. and most, most often nourished by right now. Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I try, right. try to avoid and, this. <laughs> and it's and I like the way you're saying that like religions are things that we can be in relationship with and messy religions, right? <laughs> messy relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um so I, the work you do at G's is like it's at a part-time position and then you're doing I assume the works of mercy with the other Catholic workers, hospitality, feeding the hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus part-time, and all for all of us, it's part-time. 
And our office is actually just about four blocks away, right above the soup kitchen that was first started with this Catholic worker house. So it's all very connected. Um, that's at St. Peter's Episcopal Church here. Mm. And I am, have been doing work in the Catholic worker house just for the last year. I just moved here a year ago um, and otherwise have some side gigs, but those two things take up most of my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what's the story of, of G's, like how it came into the world and got to the yeah. place where it is now? Yeah, so 15 or so years ago, um, a guy named Aiden Enns was, he, he's in, or he's from Canada, um, and he had been working for Adbusters magazine. He was doing a lot of... I love Adbusters. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I never could afford to buy it, but I would totally <laughs> read it, like, in the line at the co-op yeah. in the day. <laughs> it's not ironic, you know, you, it's, it's because there aren't any ads, it's harder to afford, but we respect right. it all the more. Yeah. So he was doing some radical work with them, um, but it's, Adbusters isn't faith-based, and he was, he's coming from a Christian, and he says, he identifies as an urban Anabaptist. Mm -hmm. um, so he's coming from a Christian background and wanting to, do, to be engaged in um, just Christian political um, identities in a way that was both critical of the institutional church, but sort of um, holding on to the, the values and, and the gifts that Christianity brings. So he started um, G's as a way of doing that. Their first tagline was um, holy mischief in an age of fast faith. Hmm. And they kept that for a few years and then transitioned to what it currently is, contemplative cultural resistance. Hmm. So there's a bit of a difference. It's changed, it's changed over the years, um, but it's always been very quirky and um, both provocative and contemplative at the same time, trying to hold space for the way that they say it is people on the fringes of faith. Mm -hmm. So like me, who's not totally comfortable being like, I'm Christian, but like, I'm definitely in relationship with it. That's, I think the way a lot of people mm. um, relate some of our mm. readers. Yeah. You know, and I, so I've been familiar with it and um, it's been on my radar, but I didn't actually get a copy in my hands until recently when I finally subscribed. <laughs> and, um, and now I just, I have two issues here on my desk, love yeah. them and feel like what I need to do to, to be honest is just like block out a whole Sunday and be like, Julia, you're not allowed to look at your phone or your laptop this entire day. Just mm. sit and read this magazine, <laughs> like because yeah. it's so beautiful and prayerful, and it's like its own form of form of art. And yeah, I mm. love that phrase, contemplative cultural resistance. You know, that fits a lot with like what I want messages, like what Messages' businesses tone is has been for me as I've been blogging for ten years, and then now mm. launching the podcast is is like how does it work to be a disciple in today's world? It has to be kind of like this this dance of like, we're offering an alternative and, you know, pointing, pointing out a different way of, of doing and being, and it's grounded in contemplation and reflection and meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, because we do like have this vision of another world as possible. I mean, that's kind of, mm -hmm. that's what I'm picking up with your pages too, like from the, the, stuff that I've sat with so far. Yeah, exactly. All of that feels very relevant to us too. And it's exciting to think that you might lock off time away from technology to sit with the magazine because that's part of our 
goal is to, you know, it's hard to maintain a print publication, but we think it's so important that people keep getting away from screens and just being with the the, tang the tangible, the pages, things you can flip through or get coffee stains on or pass to a friend uh, mm. feels really important to us. So I definitely support you taking the time to sit down with it. Mm. Yeah, so I'm interested in, could you say more about why print and not an electronic version in an electronic world? Yeah, this is something that, yeah. <laughs> here we are meeting on Zoom. <laughs> I know, <laughs> now we gotta do it. Um, so yeah, this is something that has been a growth point for me too. I'm, I'm on the younger end of millennials, but I definitely identify that way. And as someone who has, you know, I came of age with an iPhone in hand and mm. I've never subscribed to a print publication on my own before. So it's funny now I, I started working for one and all of a sudden had to start thinking about why it's really important to keep print alive. Um, and I think, I mean, one of the things that I've reflected on is particularly around the contemplative piece, what it means to have um, something tangible that you can keep coming back to and that you might not even mean to. Like sometimes on our news feeds, we'll see something, we'll look at it for five minutes, and then it's literally gone from our brains forever more. Mm. Um, but I really appreciate about G's is, and print publications is just being able to come back to something, um, stumble back on it, have it right there in the same exact format as it was, touching it again, but with potentially new eyes. And that feels to me like a lot of the, you know, a, a contemplative piece of it. Mm. And I think just the, yeah, the ways, like I said, that you can connect with other people or places or spaces differently when it's in print. Like there's something about the alone time, but also about the ways of sharing, like you can leave this out on your table and then someone would be like, whoa, what's that? Or like, <laughs> yeah. we have some really pro provocative um, covers from past issues that you could like have out and, and they've definitely gotten questions before, like, mm -hmm. let's talk about this thing, you know? So the way that it sparks conversations in real life rather than just on a feed. Mm. Um, Mm. Yeah, it, you know, and you're actually, as you describe all that, it's, I'm realizing that like if I were to open my web browser right now, I'm, you know, in the background of this Zoom call, I probably have like 12 tabs of articles that have just been like lingering on my web browser for a week. Uh, like, oh, let me just open this tab and I'll go back and read it sometime soon. And then yeah. it just lingers. And then usually in my bad habit is like, then eventually I just get frustrated and I shut down the whole browser and lose <laughs> the tabs and I'm like, I can't keep up with all the things. Yeah. And, and it feels more like this pressure of like, I want to read everyone's stuff and it's so good and important. And, you know, but, but it's, it's just not a reflective and meditative experience when it's online yeah. um, because it has that sort of like distraction, distractibility about it. And, and then, yeah, like the ad-free uh, nature of, of, of a pr your print magazine, uh, which is very rare. I mean, how many ad-free publications, print publications probably exist nowadays? Would you have any numbers on that? That's, I, I don't know. I, I not, doubt not there's many. many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that that is its own power of like, it's, the artists who contribute to you are what really frames what it becomes, huh? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So can you also unpack the phrase contemplative cultural resistance, like what you and the other creators at G's um, understand that to mean? So when I see that phrase altogether, it does feel, I, I wasn't the one who came up with it, but it still just feels like this perfect group of free words for me for what we're yeah. trying to do in the magazine. And I'm looking at the trees issue right now, and I think I'll use a metaphor maybe to describe those three words like thinking about contemplative being the rooted part mm. um and then cultural being the like the outward growing parts uh -huh. um and resistance like coming out of that pushing away anything that isn't um that doesn't belong to rooted or or growing mm. and so that you know i've never that's my first try at that metaphor. But um, I think there's this element of making sure that seeing whatever work we're doing as a very symbiotic, um, multifaceted relationship of both like being super grounded in either tradition or self or land, all those things, which is contemplative, and then um, being in community, in culture, um, in relationship with history, and also resisting because that the world that we're in right now requires so much resistance um, to mm. do any of the other things and we're living under empire so those things need to go together and it is a dance i like the way that you say that of how to how to balance them how to weave them together and ideally you know something does all three but mm. i think we're it's con it's constantly a, a tension and, and a dance in there mm. so what's the difference between culture, uh, excuse me, resistance and criticism, cultural resistance, cultural criticism. Because I hear cultural, like, res criticism, that phrase used a lot in um, some of the arts communities that I'm a part of. Mm. But I, but you're describing something different, aren't you? I think so. I haven't thought that much about that. Mm. I, I mean, I want to, I want to say maybe that resistance goes further than criticism. Um, certainly criticism feels part of it, but you know, we, we want to, part of what we want to be story sharing around is people who are putting their bodies on the line in different ways. Um, and that could be an act maybe of critique, but I think the action part is really important for us. Mm. Knowing that actions can look a lot of different ways, but um, like this act of pushing against uh, what currently exists. Mm. Mm. You know, that the last issue, your disobedience issue, the spring issue, mm -hmm. oh my word. When I opened it and saw that you dedicated it to Elizabeth McAllister, I almost started to weep it, mm -hmm. because, um, okay, so she's she's just very very important to me in my life and she doesn't know this i probably should write her a letter and tell her but <laughs> um back when i was in college and i went on a service learning trip uh to dc and we went visited jonah house in baltimore where she um was living is still living i assume yeah mm -hmm. okay oh, and yeah. um anyway we are community of college students was like interacting a lot with Jonah House kind of off and on throughout the week 
And we were being um, really challenged and being exposed to really this radical Catholic worker spirituality and um, perspective to the world. And it was super challenging to most of the students on um, the trip. And they were reacting and, you know, just kind of um, almost mocking some of the stuff because they were so uncomfortable. And um, yet I, on the other hand, realized like I was totally on fire. I was like at home, oh my word, this is why I'm Catholic. This is why I'm Christian, <laughs> like this is my home. And I was so excited. Anyway, so she just kind of quietly observed this dynamic and then randomly pulled me aside and was like, I don't know exactly, I wish I remember exactly what she said, but it was just like this encouragement of like, Julia, you get it, like, keep it up. <laughs> like, mm. you know, this, this is your place. And, and what you see and you feel, it takes other people years and years to get, you know, that sort of thing. Ooh. And I was like, okay. And then I think she invited me to come live in Jonah House when I got out of college, like right then and there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but life took me other directions. Uh -huh. um, so, so anyway, I've always, mm. every now and then, I, I think of that memory and I think of how apparently she saw something in me. Um, and that was, I mean, that was nearly 20 years ago now. And she saw something where she was able to like um, name it and encourage it in just a very short amount of time. So that's to me is a real indicator of a prophet. Someone mm. who can see the truth and point it out. Yeah. And anyway, the, the energy of the disobedience uh <laughs> issue is like woo this this is what's all about <laughs> for me i'm so i glad. love the trees one too especially because like a few weeks ago i was admitting to my housemate that i think i have like a love affair with this one tree in the park and i just like want to go visit wow. <laughs> all the we time. are so here for that <laughs> anyway that's um, beautiful yeah so so that's, that's cool. That's really mm. beautiful. Thank you for sharing that about, about Liz McAllister. It's really beautiful. I agree that it is a sign of, of a prophet to be able to do that. And very cool to think about how many other people might have stories like that with her. Right? Yeah. 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 That's wild. A gift from God. Mm. And isn't it cool? I mean, it, it, it brings to mind the scripture for me, which I don't know because I'm I can't remember always what I call the addresses of the scriptures. I don't remember which book it's in, but I'll look it up later. Um, of like, it, as Christians, we are called to encourage each other, right? And that's, that's the power of like, what we're meant to do is to help each other along. And especially in this time where like, so many people are discouraging us. Oh my word. And like, there are haters around every corner, it seems. Like, blessed are the persecuted. It doesn't take long for us to feel that, right? And so um, isn't that just part of the, the act of resistance is to be like, yeah, although you want to discourage me, I'm going to encourage you, <laughs> right? And, and, and to also be able to receive encouragement from others and not like, um, you know, turn it away because we don't like believe it or feel it ourselves or something right yeah yeah totally I found that a lot I feel like this is that's sort of what happened when I came to Detroit it was the same kind of like mm. and literally I mean they were saying like you should you should come here and I was like what should I I, 
Hmm. There's something here. And it turns out there very much was, but I, I wouldn't, it really needed, I needed that kind of encouragement. So I feel that too. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So the next question I have for you might be a bit awkward since you don't, you said you're not, you're not comfortable with the title uh, Christian. Well, I'm curious. I, I, these days I'll, I'll, I'll claim it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just, so I'm just curious how you understand discipleship of Jesus. Mm. Like what that means to you. Oh yeah. Well, that's something that is, even if I don't identify as a Christian, I certainly am striving to, to do discipleship. So mm. I think, um, although because it's still fresh for me, that kind of language, like I grew up in this, this radical Catholic community, but I still didn't really identify with Christianity until just the last year or two. Mm -hmm. So this language is new to me. Um, Welcome, baby Christian. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's great. It's a, it's a great time to be here. Um, there's so much in there for me. I do feel, I still feel very young in, in articulating that because, and for me, part of it is that I do feel, one thing that it means to me is that the path is always unfolding. So mm. I'm trying to, I think mostly what my practice or understanding of discipleship has been is these days getting more grounded in the tradition, the communities that I'm a part of, what's going on in the world, um, and myself and the land, and just seeing where that takes me. Like continuing to try to immerse myself in all those things and then kind of trusting that what flows out of it is what is the next step in the mm. path for me. You know, that's beautiful. It's made me think of how ultimately if we're following Jesus, we can't have the agenda, right? We can't have the plan. I mean, what's that African proverb, like make plans, God laughs, right? Yeah. And it's, I think it's that, that is beautiful of just like trusting the unfolding. Hmm. That's, yeah. And maybe that's my way of getting out of answering that question. <laughs> no, no, it's a great um, answer. But it's landed me all these places so far. Like it landed me in Detroit. It landed mm -hmm. me with Jesus. It landed me in the Catholic worker. All of a sudden, every element of my life, it seems, is is related to Christianity or discipleship or resistance or contemplation. And I could not have planned any of that. It's just been sort of happening. So I, that maybe is the, the way I've been operating so far. And we'll see as... I grow more into the tradition and into my relationship with it if I end up having more of a, a concrete answer. Yeah, let's talk about it again in like five uh, okay, years. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh crap, we just made a plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, God's laughing somewhere. Right. Um, do you, I'm wondering, are you willing to answer that question or, or are you trying to avoid? Uh, no, 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 it's fine. Um, Let's see, I think, yeah, for me, it is also sort of a walking with and sometimes with a blindfold on and just like my, I almost feel like I'm walking behind Jesus and like my hands are on his shoulders and I just really have no idea. Like what's, what's the surface, the texture of the road? Like, oh, is he gonna lead me? like somewhere that's going to be interesting at some point he's going to take off the blindfold <laughs> and he does actually there are times where the blindfold comes off and i'm like wow this is really fun over here and then there's other times where i'm like 
aware that I stopped holding on. This metaphor is not really working because usually I actually think it's it's not me holding on. It's like him mm. holding on to me, kind of like guiding me. Anyway, um, and but there's some at, at some point like the contacts. So every now and then the contact is uh, is removed, right? And maybe like hands go off each other and and we go in different directions because of my own impulsiveness, my selfishness, whatever. And, um, and then I end up in places where like, just aren't, this just don't match me. Like are not healthy and good, not jive, like not working for my energy, not working for my health. Um, and, and that's when I know like, oops, I made, I've made a wrong turn, detour. Jesus, where are you? What do you want me to do next? And yeah, I had a recent, I had an experience like that recently and uh, where I just kind of accidentally ended up somewhere I shouldn't have been. And then I was like, oh, where's the closest church? <laughs> and I went and found a mass and like totally got right back on track. So it was so cool. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's confusing and it's hard because like it's, it's not about um, making everyone happy. It's not about feeling good. It's not about doing what's comfortable. And, um, but it is ultimately like this, yeah, like a walk of trust of like, where are we going? Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going over here now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Does that, Thank you for sharing. yeah, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Normally when I'm interviewing people, I mean, so far in my limited experience, this is like episode seven, uh, <laughs> people don't turn the question around, but I don't mind. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. So, so for you then, what is messy about all this? Being mm. a Catholic worker, working at G's, uh, you know, like oh my God. being a disciple, like s s struggling with embracing identities. <laughs> uh, what is, what isn't messy? Honestly, <laughs> I feel like every, in every sense of the word, it's messy. All, all, all of it. I mean, literally, the house, this house is messy, you know. <laughs> our, our office has children running around it um, who we love and who also keep it messy. Mm. And um, the, the conversations that we have are full of, you know, mess and tension. Um, each, each time we're working on an issue, it's like, oh my gosh, what do we put in? What's this mm. going to be? What's that going to be? Um, so I love that that's a key part of your podcast title. <laughs> very, very relevant to me. And that's where I feel like it's just, that's part of all the work is just getting, getting on in the muck and being oh. like, okay, we're here. Oh. What, do we, what do we do now? When you say the muck, you know, what comes to mind for me is compost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Which is like so transformative and like new life can come forth, but we have to like allow what's gross and stinky yeah. to like yeah. do its thing. Totally. I really, I really appreciate you bringing compost into this conversation. <laughs> I bet you do. A big, part of, a big part of my theology. So. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What does gardening, urban gardening teach you about, about God and faith? Hmm, what a good question. Um, well, I'm looking out right now outside my window at, at our little garden back there, which has been primarily tended to by one of my fellow workers, shout out to Zach, uh, mm -hmm. for 
Hey, our, our, yes, Zach, our garden steward. Um, and it means a lot to have a garden at the Catholic Worker House. They, they have been quite short staffed for the last few years or short workered, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so gardening is one of the things that has been, has fallen off a bit, but this year we have a ton of produce growing back there in this side lot. And it, for me and all of us, I think it brings the work, a whole new dimension of the work in a way that enriches the, the works of mercy that we're able to bring, just tying us back to the basics of land and food. Um, and in a place like Detroit, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just say that when I first came here to do that study on urban farming, I had been in spaces, mostly white middle-class spaces around urban farming that were kind of, in a way, doing it more for fun or pleasure mm. or as sort of a novelty thing. Mm -hmm. But coming to Detroit and working with urban farmers and gardeners here was immediately clear that the, the, the ways of thinking about that are so much more related to survival um, and sovereignty. There was a time when most of Detroit was considered a food desert and um, just meaning there weren't many, there were sources of food, but there weren't many big chain grocery stores. But so many folks turned to creating produce in their own spaces and learning how to do that in community. And now working in black communities here, food sovereignty is a huge part of working towards black liberation and being able to, to grow one's own food and not have to rely um, on capitalism or corporations for that. So all of that is tied to God for me and how I perceive, um, you know, being in relationship with the land and with each other so much of it comes back to knowing how to to grow food so mm. all of that thank you that's beautiful yeah yeah okay and actually for some reason it reminded me of a question i wanted to ask way back at the beginning of our conversation which mm -hmm. might have piqued some of our our listeners interest or maybe they already tuned out because they didn't like it <laughs> but i wonder you said something about empire Mm. And I'm Ooh, wondering yeah. what, what you mean about that. Like, do you remember what you said? Do you remember what you mean? I talk a lot about empire, so I don't, I don't remember. We talk yeah. a lot about empire with Jesus. Yeah, because like, I think, I guess I could just say that, you know, I've been exposed to this idea of like the United States' empire for, for a few decades now. Uh, but I think that could be a really uncomfortable and hard concept for other people to swallow. So why, why do you say that it, like we're in an empire? Mm. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that I agree that it's uncomfortable. And I think that's part of the process of being someone who is in a relationship with empire that is benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. which is the way I currently identify as a white person, as a settler on this land, as a um, person from a middle-class background. And it's been a really helpful identification for me of, of this country, helping me connect dots between systems of oppression, both within our country, this land that is called the U.S., as well as internationally, which is where I think 
the dot connecting can become even more helpful through the language of empire. Um, if I were just to give one example, um, maybe I would ask listeners to consider this question too, but like if I were just to consider the most basic things of um, where did the clothes that I'm wearing come from and where did the food that I eat today come from, um, most of those places would be uh, either outside of the country or um, in places in the U.S. that are extremely um, underfunded and lacking resources. Um, people, the hands who made these clothes or made the food um, are people who have been probably struggling uh, with having their basic needs be met. They're people that I will never meet or mm -hmm. see. These clothes were shipped across lands and yeah. landed landed here in my hands. Mm -hmm. um, so and we exploit other people for our benefit. Yeah, and most of us, maybe why it's so uncomfortable is that I didn't ask for that exploitation. Right. Right. And many of us, um, especially who are benefiting from empire, were born into these systems um, without having access to even see the underbelly of them to see what's going on that makes our lives possible. So it is really uncomfortable. And um, I think Detroit has been a big part for me. People sometimes call it like an un the underbelly of US empire. You can see that in Detroit more clearly. Um, and coming here is one of the first times in my life where I really had language um, to name or visual maybe like and visceral experiences to name like all the ways that I've been living comfortably in the suburbs are directly based on the lives and oppression of of people around this land and world so mm, mm. that's a lot uh yeah no but I think what you're saying is is a really good um way of painting a picture of um uh inequality and like uh not an adequate and proper distribution of power as well and like power is actually something that i believe everyone gave god gave everyone equal power but mm. then like sort of like this power exchange game starts to happen <laughs> like mm. like if we're we're benefiting more from other people giving up their power they're oppressed you know and so on and so forth and, yeah. and like ultimately maybe it's the work of of g's and and uh, I call the messy Jesus business people uh, rabble rousers and then like, mm -hmm. but also like the work of cultural, you know, contemplative cultural resistance, like you're trying to do at Jesus is like, mm -hmm. we're trying to redistribute the power so, and, and wealth in a way that like actually reflects the kingdom of God, where we believe yeah. all people have yeah. uh, their dignity upheld and they have their basic, their basic human rights, like in the mm -hmm. way that Jesus proclaimed. And that's dangerous and risky work because we're, it means we're standing up against, against what's power. Sounds messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, have, yeah. Have you heard the, um, the Dan Berrigan quote, if, if you're going to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very dangerous. <laughs> so, Thanks that's for part reminding of, us. Yeah. <laughs> I love, we were just talking about that in a, in a book group the other day. So um, it's been on my mind. That's but, good. Thanks for listening to the, the Empire thing. And if anyone wants to talk more about that, I'd be happy to at some point. <laughs> there you go. Okay. And um, well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. And I really enjoyed getting to know you and hearing about your work. 
I, I wonder if there's just anything else you would want to add for our listeners about like what you really would want them to hear about mm. G's and G's and Jesus <laughs> and all of the things. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one thing I'll say about the magazine that I didn't get to yet is just how much we consider it to be a offline um, non-place-based community, but that we do really see it and feel it as a community mm-hmm. um, that stretches all all across uh, these lands. And it's also in, in the writing itself and in the artistry, we don't often use people who are professional writers or artists, but just people who are doing on the ground work, whether that be activism or parenting or um, clergy people. Um, and so that really adds, I think, to the the way that we see it as this coming together kind of ragtag, messy group of people on each issue, um, but that we really do hope that it feels like a community. Um, and for many folks, especially at a time when it's hard to be in community um, in, in person right now, uh, it's been really helpful and for me as well. So that's mm. maybe one more thing to add. Thank you. Yeah. Community. It's all about the community. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh, well, awesome. Thank you so much. All yeah. right. Peace. Thanks again. Bye. Peace, Bye. Julia. I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas the importance of Christians encouraging one another came up in my conversation with Kateri Boucher, I would like to read an excerpt of the Bible to you that includes this teaching. If you are able, I invite you to close your eyes and take a slow, deep breath as you listen and pray, as you consider how the Spirit is inviting you to support and encourage others on this day. A reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 through 22. For you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. Those who sleep go to sleep at night, and those who are drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet that is hope for salvation. For God did not destine us for wrath, but to gain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, as indeed you do. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who are laboring among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you and to show esteem for them with special love on account of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, cheer the faint-hearted, support the weak, 
Be patient with all. See that no one returns evil for evil. Rather, always seek what is good, both for each other and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything. Retain what is good. Refrain from every kind of evil. That's episode seven of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Sister Julia Walsh. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you could do a few things. Please share with your friends, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, and leave us a review and support us on Patreon. Thanks. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. Thanks. I am Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.